This week as I was gathering my thoughts for today's teaching, it struck me that the lectionary has provided this passage from Ezekiel about the valley of dry bones that in many ways is super appropriate for our current circumstances. But at the same time, it's also way over the top. The imagery painted by Ezekiel is so crazy that I don't even think Hollywood could do justice to it. In many ways, and even before this current COVID situation, we were living in a dry valley full of bones. The world can be a very bleak place indeed. But there is hope, and we find it in the word of the Lord that comes to us through the prophetic voice. It's in times of great struggle that the prophets really speak to us. I know that uh, I personally deeply resonate with the words of the prophets of the Hebrew Bible. Like the familiar words from Micah 6, God has told you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. And from Isaiah 58, then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help, and he will say, here I am. If you remove the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil, if you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom be like midday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your needs in parched places and make your bones strong. And you will be like a watered garden. And from Jeremiah 29, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. And of course, there's our passage from Ezekiel 37, about the valley of dry bones. We need to remember that Ezekiel was in exile in Babylon when this vision occurred. It's easy to forget that his, his status as a prominent future priest in Jerusalem had been reduced to a priest wandering without a temple. And that from afar, he heard reports that his religious institution was being corrupted. His wife had died, and he bore God's command not to mourn her as an example for the whole community in exile, not to grieve the loss of the temple. When we jump directly into this vision without the historical context, we lose the fact that the Babylonians had been torturing and besieging the residents of Jerusalem for two years. They destroyed the temple and the city, killed most of the inhabitants, and forced the rest to relocate to Babylon. Ezekiel is a man in trauma, speaking to a community in trauma. And then he finds himself 
in a valley full of bones, a valley full of death, a scene of utter lifelessness and total devastation. And suddenly, God is asking him a question. Can these bones live? The answer seems obvious. Of course these bones, bleached white and scattered on the ground, cannot live. They're bones. There's no flesh here, no sinews, no tendons. The bones are past living. They're even past dying. They're just the remains of what used to be. They're just bones, and bones can't live. And yet, we know that there's about to be flesh on these dry bones, that the breath of God animates them. The dry bones are not merely dry bones anymore. They stand up and live. They go from boneyard to dance hall. Dry bones dancing. In the midst of terrible tragedy, in the midst of a landscape of death, hope for life still remains. This is the promise that God makes to Ezekiel and his community as well, that even after such devastating loss, hope for life still remains. Can these bones live? This is the perpetual question that we all face at some point. We find ourselves in deep valleys that seem full of nothing but death. Dry bones for miles with no chance of revival. Life's path sometimes leads us in directions that we don't expect and that we don't particularly want, leaving us uncertain as to whether we can even go on. And suddenly we're hiding in whatever safe room we can find. When we look around and when we see nothing but dry bones, when we feel like we are the dry bones left over from something that used to be but is no longer, we find ourselves asking that same old question. Can these bones live? It is in moments like these when we are faced with nothing but dry bones and even death when our theology is put to the test. Moments that for us are often all too real rather than visionary. Moments when health has failed. Moments when we are in such mental and emotional turmoil that we feel more dead than alive. Moments when some circumstances beyond our control have spelled doom or despair or even death for us. Physical death, financial death, relational death, psychological death. Moments when our friends or family members contract diseases that no doctor can cure. Moments when parents grow old and when we watch their minds betray them. Moments when a loved one gets caught in the clutches of addiction. Moments when a child dies. These are all conditions that seem to land us in a valley of dry bones. Things happen in life and in the world that seem beyond our capacity to change. Even our 
best efforts and those of scientific research and advanced technology seemed destined to fall short. Can these bones live? And part of us, part of us expects the answer to echo back across the valley floor. No, they can't. But in the midst of devastating loss, in exile, in grief that you think will break you, in paralyzing uncertainty, there is another voice, often so quiet, perhaps just a mere breath. Be still and know that I am God. And in that breath is life. Not perhaps as we knew it before. Not life unchanged. Not life as we expected. But life nonetheless. This is, I think, one of the primary gifts and callings of the church. We don't pretend that dry bones don't exist. We bear witness to all that is true about the world, including its death and despair. But we don't stay there. We breathe in the life of the Spirit, even when it feels like our last gasp. We breathe in deep the breath of God. All around us, God's Spirit is at work in very tangible ways to make a difference and to breathe life into situations of despair, deprivation, desperation, and dejection. And we are asked to conspire with God. The word conspire literally means breathing with or to breathe together. For most of us, I suspect, conspiracy brings up ideas of wrongdoing, secrets, and planning to do something illegal or harmful to another person. That is a reality in our world today. Too often, the air we breathe is polluted with sorrow and death and attachments and addictions, fear, anger, and revenge, sin, and brokenness. We live as people in need of fresh air, people who are always short of breath. And God says it doesn't have to be like this. We were meant to breathe with God, to conspire with God. Where human conspiracy takes life, God's conspiracy gives life. Where human conspiracy destroys, God creates. Where human conspiracy hurts, God heals. The scriptures tell the story of God's conspiracy. God has always been conspiring to give humanity life and breath and spirit. Wherever life is being created, renewed, put back together, or inspired, the Spirit is present. The breath of God, the Holy Spirit, 
fills our homes, our being, our very existence. God breathes and we live. God breathes and our lives are put back together. God is here with us. As close as our breath, we are co-conspirators, co-breathers with God. So let us call on God to breathe life into every one of us. Let's open our hearts to the Spirit so that the Spirit might move among us. Let God's Spirit move us to resurrected life out of any graves that have tried to hold us captive. God promises to be with us and to show us God's power among us. Sometimes this happens in spectacular Ezekiel-like ways. Other times it happens much more subtly and much more quietly and slowly over time. Be still and know that I am God.